What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of Greenrope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Fetchback, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Theater. I'm so excited. I finally finished my screenplay. Cool. Does your agent like it? I don't have an agent. And I don't know any fancy Hollywood producers to help me. You should submit this script to Palooza. The screenplay competition? Yeah, they've been around for over 20 years. The top screenplays get promoted for a full year. They connect undiscovered writers with producers who are looking for fresh voices. Cool. First place prize is 10 grand. $10,000? That's right. Plus screenwriting software from Wright Brothers. Well, who's doing the judging? People in development at production companies. Well, they must be doing something right if they're around for over 20 years. Man, what a great idea. Scriptapalooza. Check out their website at script, A-P-A-L-O-O-Z-A.com. They have a ton of success stories from writers just like us. Us? Yeah. I submitted yesterday. I don't want to miss the deadline. What is your goal for 2018? Earn more money? More time for your family or yourself? We offer you a solution. Be your own boss. To learn more, please go to our website, www.runerinder.com. We look forward to having you as an Erinder. Now, let's listen to this week's episode. Hey, and welcome. Welcome to part two, part two of a great week. But we are talking to none other than this week, Audra Bohannon, who is the senior client partner and diversity and inclusion guru at Corn Ferry. Hey, listen, if you have not had an opportunity yet to hear our first part of the interview before you continue with this one, I want to warn you now, go back and listen to the first interview just a couple of days ago. But listen, I don't want to hold it up. You guys know who she is. You've gotten a chance to kind of hear her background and her story and kind of why she's so passionate about diversity and inclusion and why it is important in today's world. Take a listen to part two of my interview with Audra Bohannon. But it's interesting that you bring up that word change. So emerging leaders tend to struggle with the the, the change at hand sometimes, not necessarily the change of technology because they're early adopters, but how rapidly things may change in an office, how rapidly projects may change, right? The, the, the day in the life thing. One of the things that I think is um, uh, such a, a cool thing uh, that I will say about baby boomers is I've talked to, to, to many, uh, even on this show, 
the, the the wonderful thing you guys have over any millennial, any Xers, I would almost say somewhat of Xers, I guess the younger Xers and and especially Gen Z, the thing that you have over everyone is is time and experience. And that you guys have seen so much change over decades. There's something to be said about that. To me, that's like a serious asset. What would you tell a a, a young emerging leader? in a corporation who who wants to be one day, they want to be that leader. What would you tell them about embracing change? From, from your perspective, from where you sit, especially since you've been able to work with companies all around the world, what, what would you tell that person who, who's looking to, to be that leader? But, you know, change is very different in a workplace than it is just yes, because is. the new iPhone yes, came it out, yes, right? To me, the, the, the main thing, and I think I said it earlier and I'll say it again, is to be willing to come from a place of curiosity and not judgment. Mm -hmm. Because when you come from a place of curiosity, you're willing to be open. And you know the change is going to be a fundamental part of how you move forward and how you progress. Mm -hmm. It's not going to slow down. It's only going to speed up. So if you're an emerging leader and you can see the possibilities of continuing to grow, the more agility that you have and the more range that you have Mm -hmm. so that you're not a one-note song, and that you can flex and you can dance and you can move based on what's in front of you, the better off you're going to be. So when you think about requirements Mm -hmm. um, of people who want to lead, Mm -hmm. I think agility, learning agility, any kind of agility you want to talk about is going to be critical because you've got to be able to respond to what's in front of you and to do it in a way that feels natural as opposed to, I wish we could just do things the way we've always done. Right. Right. That's gone away. Right. You know, that's a wish you might as well let go of. But but if you think about it, in in a in a corporate career, right, some people um want to get to a certain level because they feel then I can I can finally relax, right? One place I would say that that's happening uh now in would be middle management. Uh, some people call it the frozen middle. That's right. Right. And so what is what do you think is happening with corporations now with with the frozen middle? When you start talking about all this rapid change, I think it's the one role in the one area where there's a lot of change happening around them. But a lot of times people don't know what to do because I personally feel like a lot of people have gotten to that space because they thought, oh, I can relax here. I can kind of hang out. It's like, you know, up in the nest. No one's really just I'm too high up to be impacted by what's going on below me. And all I got to do is just do my part. Right. So. So what do you what do you think is happening with middle management? And do you think it's going to go away eventually? Well, eventually is a long time. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But the the um, I think what's going to. Sort of begin to shift things a little bit, especially mm-hmm. as you said with the with the frozen middle. Mm-hmm. Is that you do you remember probably about maybe 15 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, everybody talked about being a learning organization. That's it's right. about we want to be a learning yeah. organization. We're going to be a learning organization. I really wish we had been true to that, what that represented. Okay. Because it would have allowed people to understand what it means to really learn and develop. And I think for so long, because we're trying to hit the bottom line, Mm -hmm. we're trying to hit our quarterly earnings, Mm -hmm. trying to do whatever's necessary to make sure that we can stay profitable and um, do things well in terms of keeping our business going. Mm -hmm. Um, We lost sight around the significance of creating an environment where 
you are acknowledged and valued for learning. Mm. So I say all of that to say is that we've lost some time around now. It is really necessary to be a learning organization. It is really necessary for us to be willing to learn. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's going to tap on everybody and it's going to start chipping away even at the quote frozen middle because the reality is if you're going to stay in business and you're going to continue to stay in business in a profitable way, Mm -hmm. you have to do things differently. Right. The market demands it. Right. And I live in Boston. Once upon a time, there was a Polaroid. Right. (laughs) There used to be a company called Kodak. Right. That's true. That's true. You know, and let's not forget Digital Equipment Corporation. Wow. At one point, point in time, was the number two computer company in the world. Wow. So it can happen right. in terms of, of, of not, you know, being relevant anymore. It's about how do I stay relevant and stay true to what the market is demanding? And we probably have one of the most demanding markets we've ever had. Wow. So I'm curious as to... Um, your thoughts on how things have changed as we were talking about it with diversity and inclusion. Tell me what it was like 20 years ago and what does diversity inclusion mean today? I would probably, not probably, 20 years ago, or we can take it back even further when I first started doing the work 30, okay. 30, 35 years ago. The focus, when people said the word diversity, it meant Black people and women. Mm. Okay? Then it evolved to people of color and women. Mm -hmm. Come forward, we have such a broad definition of diversity. And we're defining diversity as any dimension that could differentiate one person from the other. Okay. And so you can have the primary aspects of diversity, which can be focusing in on race. It could be focused in on gender. Um, it could be focused in on sexual orientation. It could be focused in on age. And then you can move out into other areas of like education. You can use it to military status. But the thing about it is those aspects of difference when you walk through the world mm-hmm. represent a lens in how you self-identify. Mm. And so... When you walk into a room where you don't feel like you are part of the majority group, that is representing, that's representative of a difference. Mm-hmm. So I would say today, um, diversity, well, if you go way back, there was only diversity. You didn't hear the word inclusion. Okay. It was all about diversity. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about it is that white men do not see themselves part of the diversity equation. Okay. They not, they, but they do see themselves as part of inclusion. Okay. And so what happens is, is that we used to say, we talked about diversity as the mix. Mm-hmm. It's just the, the composite, all these different differences, all these differences, mm-hmm. bringing them all together. The question is, how do you make it work? And that's how do you create a, a culture of inclusion mm-hmm. so your diversity can flourish? So sometimes people see those two words as simul- as the same, but they're not. They're distinct. They, they are different. And so today, a lot of people are saying, well, are we losing diversity and just focusing in on inclusion? Okay. And so the, the goal is, is that, and I say this all the time, when you look at th- the three, when, you, when you're talking about three words, diversity and inclusion, 
it's the and to me that's the most important word mm. because you need both. Okay. You need both working at the same time. Organizations has a responsibility of creating environments where all people can do their best work. That's inclusion. And then also diversity has, I mean, and also organizations have a responsibility to make sure that they represent a organization that brings different perspectives, mm-hmm. that brings different, a lot of different things to the table. Right. And so people still at times think that when you hear the word diversity, it is the code for people of color and for women. Right. But the reality is, is that there's probably not one person that you could not ask. Think about the most vivid recollection of when you felt different. They could not tell you a story from your childhood. So we've all been in a place where we felt different. And what created that difference, whatever that attribute was Mm -hmm. or that uh, that identifier was, Mm -hmm. was different. Right. You know, so I just think the definition of diversity today is a broad definition. Right. And I also think that the significance of environment, of cultures, of inclusion is also significant today compared to where it was. Hmm. So when you talk about that, um, there's multiple experiences that happen for a lot of different people. The experience of the woman going through a corporation, going from an individual contributor to management to saying, I want to be in that C-suite. What advice would you give a young emerging woman in today's world who knows this is where she wants to be one day, but she probably feels it's a it's a high jump and a you know a long way away for me to get there, but that's something that she desires. What's the difference in the journey of the young emerging woman today versus what it was like, you know, thirty years ago? Can I change? Can I tweak that question? Just sure. A little bit? Um, I'm going to respond to the journey today mm-hmm. for a woman compared to a man's mm-hmm. journey. Absolutely. Can I? Can no, I, I think that? that's fair because as a man, I wouldn't know. Yeah. And I think that it is important that we highlight that because there are differences in journey. So absolutely. Well, so so here here's one of the things. Whenever I'm working with a group of women, I will ask this question. It's, it's about the power of socialization, believe it or not. Okay. And I will ask a, a, a group of women, I'll say, how many of you were raised that family comes first? And most hands in the room will, would go up. And then I'll say, how many of you think men were raised that family comes first? And not maybe one or two hands would Wow, go up. interesting. And I said, now, hmm. believe it or not, both boys and girls were raised that family comes first. It is the definition of family comes first that's different. So for men, it's around provide and protect. Right. And for women, it's to nurture, support, and caretake. So take those Mm. two pieces and take them into corporate America. Wow. Where you have men who are doing everything they can to make sure they provide and protect for those that are important to them. Mm -hmm. So they have no problem going in and saying, I need my increase. I need to move into a new role. Right. I got to protect. I got to provide. So I'm seeing myself moving and I see myself making an impact. My ambition is showing up in terms of me being able to take advantage of every opportunity that I can grab a hold of. Mm -hmm. And I'm going for it. Men have no problem delegating, moving things around, making things happen. Right. Because everything they do is has to be at the end of the day, they have to be able to provide and protect. But for women, they're the doers. 
Mm-hmm. They're the ones that so women do everything. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is at a certain point in your career, as you're nurturing and providing and taking care of everybody else, if you're not careful, you don't take care of self. And then number two, you're in a role where the expectation is that you always do. You get the perfect day. You become the valedictorian. You walk into the organization. You're the go-to person. You're always doing, but you're not necessarily developing your leadership skills and delegating to make the work happen. Wow. Not getting the work hmm. done through other people. Men are more comfortable doing that. And so what happens, women can, can bottleneck because they, they're doing too much and they don't necessarily branch out and develop the requisite skills around how well do they influence, how well do they delegate, mm-hmm. how well do they build relationships. They're just in that office, just doing, 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 doing. And sometimes it can undermine. So what does a woman who wants to be an emerging leader, she need, she's going to have to push against her socialization Interesting. around being wow. always doing it. Wow. She has to be willing to, mm. to understand that it's going to be, it's going to require her to think about managing how her work differently. Wow. We could talk about that for hours. I, <laughs> there's so many different pieces there. So how does that change then for a woman who in today's world is an executive and to your point has made that shift, but still sees a ceiling of the male figures that she finds herself surrounded by every single day in that space? How, how, how much, what is the difference in, in the change there and, and what, what types of, cause I'm sure there's a, there's a different pressure that she's seeing as an executive. There's a different set of things that assumptions I would even say probably are happening mm-hmm. at, at that level. What, what is that world like and what's happening there? Well, it's interesting. You said that because uh, one of the things we've been able, we, we were able to do at Corn Ferry is to partner with the Rockefeller Center on doing a um, research uh, paper around CEO, female CEOs. Okay. And, we inter- and we interviewed 57 of them around what did it take and what was the journey like. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I thought was really interesting that came out of the research was the power of sponsorship. Mm-hmm. And many of the women said that they there was someone that tapped them saw their potential and say, you're going, Let's, we're getting ready to go for it. Mm-hmm. And so I think many times people use the word sponsorship and how critical it is. Mm-hmm. But at that level, when you really are talking about being in the top role in a major organization, mm-hmm. the role of having a strong support system mm-hmm. of advocates and sponsors who are going to invest in your future and in your career is, is a non-negotiable. Okay. It has to be, it has to be put in place. Mm-hmm. And so being able to invest the time and the energy to be able to get those types of relationships as a part of your world is something that you would have to do. So I've heard um, from many executives who say, well, the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of millennials need to understand is there are only but so many seats at the top and everybody's not going to get one. So, you know, kick rocks, right? What, what do you feel is the differentiator that makes an emerging leader attractive to become an executive in today's world? Say that one more time. What do you feel is what's going to make a young emerging leader attractive for a C-suite position in today's world? 
Uh, big picture thinking mm-hmm. is going to be important. You have to think about the business and understand the business and understand the impact that the business is going to make on the market. I mean, you, it really is about that knowledge. I think also the power of the relationship. How well do you build significant substantive relationships with individuals that are also moving the business forward? Mm-hmm. And also being able to produce results. You have to be able to make an impact. You have to understand that whatever your deliverables are, you exceed them and you exceed them in a big way mm-hmm. because that's what gets the attention of people when they're seeing, I mean, you're above the, you know, you're above it, of it all. You just keep and you just keep pushing it and you keep positioning yourselves where someone looks at you and say, this person wants to go to distance and mm-hmm. I want to support them in getting there. And that's when you start getting that advocate and that sponsor. And the next thing you know, you just continue to move because they're going to say, you know what? Don't go over here. I need for you to go over there. Mm-hmm. I need for you to move in this direction. Mm-hmm. You got to have somebody to help you navigate to understand what to say yes to and what to say no to. Right. Um, so I think that's also part of it. Okay. So I have a couple of questions before we wrap up. And this is, man, there's so many things that we could talk about, but we might have to have you come back. I would be more than, <laughs> more than willing to come um, back. What is the future of DNI? Where do you see it going? Well, you know, that's an interesting question. I was having dinner with a dear friend of mine about 15 years ago, and we were laughing over over dinner, and we said, we're going to work ourselves out of the job, (laughs) and I can do this for as long as I want to, because diversity is. It's not going to disappear. It's not going away, and we are now a global system. Mm-hmm. And when you think of all the different aspects of diversity being part of a global community, it is going to become more intense, not less. Mm-hmm. So when I think about the future of diversity and inclusion, I think about it from the standpoint of let there be a level of leadership, individuals who are progressive in their thought and inclusive in their behavior that can see the benefits, because there's many studies that are out now mm-hmm. that's saying that a diverse community, well-managed, will outperform a homogeneous community every single time. Wow. But if, you, if, if, a, if a diverse community is left to, be, left to run amok, it will always underperform. Mm. But, but, but organizations and leaders who run those organizations who see it as an asset will leverage it and just run with it and mm-hmm. they will be they will far out outpace their competitors so that's so it's not going anywhere it's just how long is it going to take for our leaders to understand that it's not just about checking the box right and it's not just about pruning the tree it's about going into the root system and understanding and looking at your organization mm-hmm. around how what are some things we might have to change in order to leverage difference hmm. and create those environments of inclusion. And so when you talk about that, what what types of data should a company be leveraging to help them understand their DNI strategy? Like is there what types of data is sitting out there in the world or that they should be looking at inside of their organization so that they can they can say, okay, here's what it is. Which which levers do we need to pull to change it? Well, one of the things that, that we always recommend organizations do is just get a sense of what your current state is. So assess where we are mm-hmm. before you decide on anything. 
And then once you do it, you can do it in surveys, but get just find out what your, what, how your people are feeling. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes back, you're going to get a heat map. You're going to say, you know what, those folks over there, they're doing all right. But this group over here, something's going on. Mm-hmm. And then you can do focus groups. You can do anything you can because you got to get the what and the why. Right. But once you get your baseline, now you begin to now you can say, OK, where are the areas that we're that we're going to improve and and, and where can we make a difference? So once you get it mm-hmm. now, you can say, OK, now how are we going to hold people accountable? Um, what problem are we solving for? Right. What is the real issue? There mm-hmm. was there was one of our clients that um, they whenever you were if you were someone that really wanted to make some things happen in your career. You had to take an international assignment. That was part of what was required. Interesting. And so when they looked at the data, they realized that most people who took an international assignment took it between the ages, let's say, like 28 and 35. And they noticed that the number of women that took these assignments was starting to go down. Hmm. And And somebody sat up there and said, well, what's going on? And why is it that so many women are choosing not to take on these assignments? Because if you don't take this assignment, it's going to truncate or interfere with your growth and development and driving your career. And then somebody said, well, most women or many women get married and have children between 28 and 35. And then they said, well, what's so magical about 28 to 35? And somebody (laughs) else in the room said nothing. They took it back to 25 and they got women just flew okay. because they were able to go get the assignment then come back home and then if they moved into a traditional role of marriage and children they were able to do that and it didn't right. hurt their career but that was someone that said let's look at our formal policy hmm. why do we have the policy in place it doesn't make any sense let's change it if we want to get the outcome that we want so mm-hmm. that's what I'm talking about you look at what it is we need as an outcome mm-hmm. What is the challenge that's interfering with us getting the outcome? Let's manage that. And then the rest, you just make it happen. Interesting. So last question. I'm going to give you some time to think about this one. If you were raising the young Audra Bohannon today in today's world, Uh and she was going to take your role one day, what do you think would you tell her right now that's really important for her to take what you've done in your illustrious career of all these decades to go into the next 30 plus decades. What would I tell the young Audra? Mm-hmm. I would tell the I would tell the young Audra three things. The first one would be to have the courage and the commitment to stand strong against anyone in your world at a young age. When I was young, I I allowed the system to miss to to I would I allowed it to make me show up small mm. because of the messages that I received about what I could or could not do. Mm. So it would be move through the world without apology mm. and always stand strong and have the courage to represent your point of view. I don't care where you are and who's in the room. Hold yourself in high regard. So that would be the first thing. The second thing is the power of the relationship. I wish I understood then what I know now about how important it is to build strong relationships Mm -hmm. with people who can help you navigate and people who will have your best interests at heart and you will also have theirs. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is 
to always understand that you can go as far as you want and that you have to manage your 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 you have to you have to your problem solving orientation has to be so developed that you let nothing get in your way mm-hmm. or slow you down because being a black woman there are going to be challenges you will always have to face that's unique to being a black woman and if you're not careful they can seep into your head and heart and slow you down so you got to be vigilant and just say you know what I do have a place I do have I know where I want to go mm-hmm. and I am going to get there and I don't have to apologize for it and I am really going to use being a black woman as a double asset and not as a double whammy. Wow. Wow. Okay. So that one's going to probably be the first thing that we put on social media, just so you know. <laughs> That's going to be the first one. That's the first thing people are going to see. And they're going to like, oh, I want to listen to this interview. Listen, um, uh, one of the things that is always important to me is that we have people like yourself who have not only just a, a vast amount of knowledge, but the applied knowledge that you've been able to do to help corporations make life better for people in my generation and younger. So first of all, let me say thank you for your efforts. Thank you for the work you've done. Absolutely. And I think at the end of the day, I always say that, you know, for the people I get a chance to interview or people like yourself who have done so much and still doing, it's not like you're done, all right, but you're still doing, um, you make life better for all of us in the workplace, for all of us as we continue to build as as entrepreneurs, uh, because of the work that you all have been able to do, we able to stand on really strong shoulders. So thank you so much for all that you've put together because it makes what you see now happening possible, right? So thank you so much. It's my pleasure and, 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 and I am not gonna stop. Absolutely. Just keep it going. <laughs> all but right. Thank you so much, Chris. You're welcome. Okay. All right. Now, listen, if if you're a, a fan of this show, and I know you are because you're listening to it, you've had to have really enjoyed this interview. This is probably one of like literally my top five interviews that I've been able to uh, do uh, on this show. So thank you guys so much for listening. Listening. if you are a first time listener, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for taking the time out. However you found this. Make sure you share with your family, your friends, your other co-workers about this show you can do that even on social media yes we're on social media as well facebook instagram or twitter at high level wisdom all one word together you'll be able to find us make sure you also subscribe to us on youtube we have a youtube channel where we're putting out even more content than just what you have here on the podcast thank you guys so much for listening i hope you have a great rest of your week whatever you choose today make sure you do it at a high level take care and i'll catch you in the next episode Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra-low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious, ultra-low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving, plus high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10, H-E-R-O dot C-O.